Hey everybody, welcome to Service Level, creating a community where Black and queer folk are fearlessly thought and curious at heart. I'm one of your hosts, Damon, and today, Tony, Jordan, and I are discussing Black and queer literature. What stories have we read that have affected our views on Black on the Black and queer experience? If you could write any story, what would it be? This is Reading Rainbow. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. Read that rainbow, girl. <laughs> Read that rainbow. <laughs> so, like every episode, we're going to start with a little game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's themed from some topics from some black queer writers. Okay. Well, okay. English was my favorite subject. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just so you, you know. love to read. I mean, my, the, my degree is in journalism. Oh, she's the she storyteller. I'm the guru. I am the storyteller. <laughs> we, we don't have all night. I carry so the keep, bones. Keep it. <laughs> 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 all right. So, George M. Johnson's All Boys Aren't Blue highlights his struggles identifying with traditional male expectations. So, what pink activities would you prefer to do growing up? Cheerleading or ballet? Ooh. Jordan? Definitely cheerleading. The cheerleaders at my middle school... They mm-hmm. were so sassy. I don't even think they was cheerleading. I think they were just like a drill team. Black, cheer- Black cheerleaders <laughs> are, are very different. It was just like a drill team. <laughs> very competitive. They did like a remix to Uchiwali by, um, by Nas. It was <laughs> really good. And I was just in, I was in the bleachers like. <laughs> getting your entire like, life. I hate this game, but I love this show. <laughs> Not in the bleachers. Tony. So... I think for me it would be ballet because I, I have dancers' feet. You do have a pointed toe. Mm-hmm. The girls want to cut me off at the ankle and steal my feet. The dancer <laughs> girls. Mm-hmm. Because I just have the feet for it. And I did do a little bit of ballet when I was in elementary school. And, and, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sick of and I think I missed like one of my callings, callings in life yeah. because mm-hmm. I should be an Ailey dancer. You know, you should be on the principal in in the subway, dancer. flying through the air and the I ads. Should, I absolutely should be, and you know, it's it's. Well, I, I was gonna say it's never too late, but you know, dancers, you got to be it's like fourteen. <laughs> well, actually, late, you start at like five, right? right. <laughs> you don't nowhere near that. No I more. think we pass the threshold. <laughs> we pass the threshold. Okay, yeah. I think ballet. I'm too. Hang it up. Hang up my shoes. <laughs> but uh, I still got the feet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if anybody was curious, <laughs> Tony's OnlyFans feet uh, story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Um, so in Langston Hughes' poem, Mother to Son, there's a very famous line that says, life ain't been no crystal stair. Mm-hmm. So if you could choose a life with extreme peaks and valleys or that's consistently mundane, which lesser of those two evils? Tony. Um, I, I like the highs and the lows mm-hmm. of life. I, th- I like the good, the bad, the ugly. I think you learn from... The peaks and the valleys and so I, I want those valuable lessons i don't want you know a mon- mundane atrocity of a life <laughs> so i want to go with peaks and valleys i mean i have to agree with tony like <laughs> no one in their right mind is like relocating to new york city if they're not somewhat comfortable with having peaks and valleys new york city <laughs> Is the valley mm-hmm. most of the time? <laughs> I'm, I'm in the valley right now. I'm, 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 I, I, I'm perpetually in a, a valley. Okay. <laughs> yeah, give, me, give me peaks, valleys, fire, desire, all the things. Mm-hmm. So next, um, our friend Riley Wilson wrote a book called hey, My ID and explores a person growing up with an obsession with flying. Yes. If you had a superpower, would you rather fly or be invisible? Jordan. 
Ooh. You know, she a little invisible. <laughs> I knew that's because she, she a scammer. Going. I knew <laughs> definitely Joanne the scammer. Invisible. I will be everywhere and nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> I will be everywhere and nowhere. Okay. You know what? There's a book called Invisible Life, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I would like that life. Ooh. Not in the means the, of what the book was giving. Oh, I, was like, oh, want, like, I was like, you I'm want like, that you one? But in the means of this game, I did read the book. <laughs> um, in the means of this game, I, I, I would like that invisible life because I want to be able to, it's kind of like having that anonymity, but at the, the, the ultimate mm-hmm. anonymity ultimate. of being able to just be everywhere and nowhere. <laughs> I'm going to fly. I'm trying to fly, hide baby. from these girls. Fly. Sorry. What? <laughs> Did you have? I was gonna start singing a song, but we can't sing that song on. Oh no! Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I know forgot. What you're talking about. I forgot. Moving on. Yeah. I forgot. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. So the I'm classic sorry. TV show Soul features a conversation between Nikki Giovanni and James Baldwin, in which James says, "If you love me, you can't lie to me," and Nikki Giovanni replies, "If you love me, of course you lie to me, uh, because I get the least of you. You smile at work." and act all happy and do all these things in the world, and then you get home and want to give me this sadness. So would you prefer friendships or relationships that had absolute truth all the time or a little bit of lying to soften things for you? Jordan, you lie. <laughs> Don't nobody want to sit here and have to deal with everybody's damn luggage all damn day. My day was long too, shit. Like, I don't, uh-uh, uh-uh. Put on, put on the, be a good sport. I mean, obviously we can have time to like check in with everybody, but if it's giving dirge every damn day, it's like you have to find someone else. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, I, I prefer, um, give me the truth. Mm-hmm. And because we're going to have honest conversation, we're going to have real conversation. And when it's time for you to shut the fuck up, <laughs> I'm going to be able to say. <laughs> 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 Why would you say it like that? <laughs> I was really following you. I was like, mm, so deep. I would be able to be like, girl, less, less. less. <laughs> um, give me 95% truth, but 5% of the time, just. Just, just, just show up. Zhuzh it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. just every now and then. Every now and then. Um, and as a nod to today's to today's guest, would you rather date Jesus and live a life without a partner, or die poor and never quite uh make get become financially successful? Tony. Oh my God. Date Jesus, because the other option. I'm try, not trying to be poor. Was that wait? Read those again. So date Jesus and live a life without a partner yes. or die poor. Yes. And die poor. Never be financial. Yeah, I'm not no. <laughs> I'd rather date Jesus and live a life without a partner. Same. Because I got y'all. Y'all my partners. Right. And, and it's not to say you can't have fun. Oh, I'm gonna have a lot of fun. Always. I intend to do some flying. <laughs> I was gonna say die poor. Oh. Um I just because I look I I don't want the same type of relationship my parents had, but I look at what the relationship my parents had, and I don't think they would change any level of that partnership for money. And I think there's value in living a life with a person and connection more than money. And I'm not, I'm not saying, Jesus. I'm not saying it's extreme <laughs> poverty, child, but not extreme. Oh, now you get to choose which poverty you are. I, I, I said poor, not extreme poverty. That's different. Those are different. I just want to be clear. Because well, you're right. Because I'm poor right now. So. I, I am poor right now. I'm poor. We can't say. <laughs> I am. Who's uh, not poor? I'm, technically I'm poor. poor. Okay. 
All right. <laughs> so, starting our conversation, we want to talk about some things we've read, highlight some queer authors, writers, poets, maybe. I don't know what you all picked. But what's a something that you've recently read, or just read generally, that's impacted your Black and queer experience? Jordan, you look very doughy-eyed or something right now. Like, mm. Why are you looking at me like that? Don't How that, am I looking? Don't make that face. What's the face? <laughs> I can't help it. I can't change my don't face. Don't make that face. <laughs> um, I, so I read like a couple of like stories that the protagonist was a queer person, mm -hmm. a queer black person. And in this moment, it's hard for me to kind of decide. But I'm just going to go with the which book I felt like was the most interesting to me, which was this book called the, um, oh my God, what was it called? Oh, jeez. The book that you read? <laughs> the Confessions of Franny Langton by Sarah Col Collins. Oh my I'm God, sorry. I see why you forgot it. <laughs> it was a lot. The who of what? By who? <laughs> I'm ready to do what I do. The, con <laughs> the Confessions of Franny Langton by Sarah Collins. Got it. And the reason why I really like that book is because it's about a woman, Franny Langton, who grew up in Jamaica. And um, it was sort of like towards the tail end of slavery, mm -hmm. but still working the grounds for a white family. The white family had went bankrupt and then they sold franny to a wealthy family in london yeah. and london at the time was a bit more progressive in human rights for black people at the time than jamaica so she had a little bit more liberty and she was also smart she was educated um that was a rarity at that time mm -hmm. and the madam of the house she actually engaged into a relationship with the woman in the house and it was a lesbian mm -hmm. love affair <laughs> which i was just like that's oh my funny. god it was a lot it was yeah. like and, and and the thing is there was this big you know it was during a time where like rape. it wasn't i'm not gonna say it wasn't <laughs> i'm not gonna say she wasn't groomed i don't know what i what i will say is that i thought that it was interesting because during that time franny was working the house you mm -hmm. know like cleaning and preparing the food and everything like that but it the story wasn't so focused on that the, the story was focused on her romance with mm. this woman and then also there was drugs and you know alcohol abuse and moving out and having independence it was really really interesting it was a different take on i guess the um the servitude that happened but like also like framing it in a very human way with this woman who was very smart and also queer um yeah i thought that that was just really interesting and i it, when i read that I, I just i i hope that for this next generation of films that are centered around the time frame in which um you know our people were enslaved that we allow some more of the humanity to be told through the storylines yeah it's like underground yeah the one on amazon prime no, that's the Underground Railroad. Oh. There was a show called Underground with Journey Smollett. I, uh, yeah, I remember yeah, that one. That one was, it was like, to give it Shonda Rhimes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tony, what about you? Um, so, well, actually for me, because it's the book that I most recently read, cover to cover, and I'm on a journey of reading more, I actually want to talk about Michael's book. 
I don't want to die poor. Where's the camera? <laughs> where's the camera? It's right here. Where's my, where's my camera? <laughs> so, <laughs> but no, like it actually impacted me a lot because I related to him on so many levels. And I think you all probably related to him as well. But from discovering like who you are sexually, um, your sexuality to coming out to the struggles of dealing with student loan debt. I don't think Damon had that struggle, but <laughs> Jordan and I. I don't we, know why you were telling these people my business. <laughs> we, we, uh, <laughs> we, 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 we have we, that we, struggle we, we in common. In um, <laughs> but uh, no, it just reminded me, like, although we, we have individual experiences, I was just reminded of how how many things we actually have in common and the similarities that we share and that we're not alone in this world. We all have similar struggles. Um, so it just made me feel a little less alone in the world, which is what we try to do with this podcast, mm -hmm. but also made me think of how important it is to keep telling our stories and to keep paying it forward to the black queer youth that come up behind us because they really need that fairy gay mother or father um, to take them under their wings and the work is ongoing. So that's part of my pledge. But I do want to say one thing because Here we go. as it relates, Get those glasses, baby, Get as those it glasses. relates, hold on one second. I'm sick of you. You're going to be sick of me all season, <laughs> all, all season. As it relates to um, Michael's relationship with his father, we all have varied relationships with our fathers. And f for him, there's a part of the book in which he says, about his dad. He says, I understand that many men start as boys who idolize their fathers and want to be like them. Then he goes on to say that he never wanted to be or do anything that suggested that he was a reflection of his father because, you know, for various reasons. And mm -hmm. I think that a lot of us as black men and black queer men specifically have that, we Most walk that tightrope that mm -hmm. tightrope um, yeah. as it pertains to the relationships we have with our dad, whether we idolize them or whether we, whether they're, we villainize them because they deserve to be villainized. Mm, so right. I just really related to him on so many levels and it, it had a, a, a real um, impact on me. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have always really liked reading biographies and, actual human being stories mm -hmm. and for the longest i was like anytime you ask me about a book it was darnell moore no ashes in the fire that was yes, my book yes i recently got a new book you got a new book got a new book you got a new book so hari who we oh. met at trappy hour mm -hmm. right this is mm -hmm. how you but this is what i mean about meeting people and talking about things that anywhere <laughs> but i was just like oh you're interesting i'm gonna order your book and read it his book's called um what's the name of the book? it's called black boy out black of boy time. out of time mm -hmm. and loved this book um, it reminded me partly of um, when we did the Gaze is Otis Time episode. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, Steven's message to his 10-year-old self was like, you'll spend your entire life trying to get back to this feeling of being this free. Mm -hmm. And like yeah. that's partially the premise of his book, retelling his story, his experience back to his 10-year-old self and talking about all the ways in which the world makes life hard for little black kids. Mm -hmm. And I found his book to be so moving um and one of the things he wrote in it he was just like i no longer need to see myself in their tales um i know that i can exist in the world uh, excuse me i can exist outside the world um that they describe and color outside the lines yeah and and for me 
thinking about like those feelings of being a kid and you always want to feel seen and we talk about how we're not <clears throat> represented and it's kind of stepping further than that and saying i don't need to be represented by you i can if i can see myself truly as i was when I, as a 10 year old then i know that i exist i know that my life has value right um and i think one of the things that i've said in another episode this season is that I, as i'm getting older i'm trying to hold on to that feeling of seeing the world as it should be and not, and not seeing the world as it is and not getting too jaded by things that go wrong. Yeah. Um, so that's, that was, I, 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 you find book recommendations at Trappy Hour. <laughs> so <laughs> that was the moral of the story. That was the moral of the story. Go to Trappy Hour. It gave me very much. Good ideas can come from anywhere. Good ideas can come from anywhere. <laughs> um, so next, if we could write a story, what would it be? Tony, we're going to start with you because we know that. I'm a story writer. No, you're the storyteller. Every time you're the storyteller, and every time we do an interview anywhere, Tony Morrison says, "Well, yeah, if there's a my, story that you want to tell, and it hasn't been told, written, write it yourself." Yeah. So, what are you yeah. writing, Tony? So, I think, in keeping in line with um, our our trailer for the season, um, I would write the story about what life would be like if we all stopped pretending. <laughs> um. And what if we lived in a world where everyone could show up exactly as who they are and free of judgment and a world where people minded the business that paid them? <laughs> I would love that. Most, that's my favorite part. Always get real. In a world where love is love. Like I, I, wow. I just would imagine like um, Wakanda, of, but just, like make it gay. I mean, it's definitely fantasy. It's, yeah, it's giving like, Wakanda, <laughs> but make it gay. You're like so, a hippie. I'm, a, I'm like a hippie. You're a hippie. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's the story that I, I would like to to write and tell and see. And what would life be like in mm -hmm. that kind of world? Jordan. So. Child, she's fired up. <laughs> she, has a, she has a storyboard. She just had her coffee. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> so I will want to see a queer hero. Mm -hmm. Like I read Children of um, Children of Blood and Bone, mm -hmm. love, and I don't read and I don't get into fantasy, fantasy magic. Oh, I did not read the Harry Potter's when it came out. I didn't read them, but did you like the movies? I didn't watch the movies. Oh, oh. yeah, we were watching the whole Harry Potter series again. Right now. No, he's never seen them either. Oh. I was like, let's when did do this. Start? We're, we're two movies in. Okay, so you, girl, you're, you're already too far to me. We're six hours ahead of you. So. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're long <laughs> movies. I'm sorry. But yeah, like, I, I just love how that book sort of like takes, like, you know, the African experience, the black experience, and they really turn things into symbols of power. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, like, when the what when a certain part of the community when they don't have magic you know their hair texture is not of that of a traditional african hair texture mm -hmm. but when magic returns to their bodies their hair gets kinkier and curlier mm -hmm. and i would just love to see sort of something like that happen where queer characters can sort of be powerful mm -hmm. in their characteristics and you know the th and the you know, the, the aspects of their lives and something that can be told to like kids and families, mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, like I think that we're doing a great job of creating these stories for young adults and adults, but I would love to see more representation for that families can consume together and start having those conversations. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was interesting when I read that book 
I remember reading it the whole time and I was like, this is so nice. I get to escape what's going on in the world, the pandemic, Black Lives Matter, and everything. <laughs> and then I got nice. and then, and then, and then it I, gave me very much. A, but then I got to the pro, the pro, pro, epilogue, pro, whatever, the end, the end notes. Mm -hmm. And she was just like, I wrote this book as a response to all the things going on in the world. Yes. And I was just like, well, yes. That was I remember getting to that and I was like, okay, well, I missed that part. Yeah, but, all the themes in there, I was like, right. oh girl, this is serious business. <laughs> but you know. Um I so I, I was thinking about she's gotta have it. Mm -hmm. And I would love a queer story like but go with me, like that, that represented these things of sexuality, non-traditional relationships, people just living and doing what the fuck they want to do. But I want it to end in a positive light. And I say that because whenever, and even in She's Gotta Have It, where there's a story where a person's not monogamous or yeah. a person is not traditional friend, it always ends with somehow their life going to shit. Yeah, and yeah. the story being, if you do not live in a traditional way, then this is never going to work for you. Hmm. And I would love to see stories of people that see the world more similarly, similarly to I, where I'm just like, I don't want to be in a traditional relationship. Right. I don't have traditional friendships. I don't want to do yeah. traditional things. And you know what? I can still be happy and I can still have a great life. Yeah. I can see um, the mom being like, fuck that. Fuck, hello? <laughs> that would be the name of the movie. Fuck that. Fuck that goddamn <laughs> shit. All right. So let, let's get to bringing in somebody who knows what the fuck they're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to talk to somebody who knows what the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> so today we're bringing in our, a fellow bison. Really excited Thank about you. that. Um, and someone who we help can really, who we know can really bring something to this conversation and help us out a bit. And some of you may be familiar with his work because he is the New York Times bestselling author of I Can't Date Jesus, Love, Sex, Family, Race, and Other Reasons I've Put My Faith in Beyonce, as we all do. And most recently, I Don't Want to Die Poor, which we discussed earlier, because who wants to do that? Um, so today we welcome. <laughs> I love that. Today we welcome Michael Arsenault to our surface level family. Thank you for having me, and I don't want anyone to date Jesus or that poor. Just for the record, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want that for nobody. We'll date Beyonce though. We'll take her. Yay! Um, so before we jump into the interview, Michael, what we typically do is ask a series of this or that questions, just so that the listeners and the viewers uh, can get a better sense of you and your personality. So I'm just going to ask you a series of questions, and then you just let me know what you rather out of the two. Um. Beach vacation or city vacation? Beach vacation because I never take one. <laughs> yeah, so you don't so want to do that. Um, yeah. Would you rather be the richest person in the world or the smartest person in the world? Uh, the richest because you, I mean, because you don't have to be smart for that and dumb people are having a great time right now. Um, <laughs> Great answer. <laughs> um, dinner date with Megan the Stallion or Travis Scott, both Houston natives. Oh, Megan, Megan. Okay, that was quick. And, yeah, <laughs> my knees still work, so we have to we have to bond already. Ooh, you, you got Megan knees? Allegedly, I'm holding <laughs> so, my, I actually mold them on pretty nicely, so yes. Um, <laughs> All right now. Would you rather always be the first to arrive or always the last to leave? I'm usually the first to arrive, and I remember now that I live in LA again that you're punished for that. I don't ever want to be the last to leave, though. <laughs> yeah, because when you're the first to yeah, arrive, so I'd, I'd you be start the doing first. chores. 
<laughs> you got to start laying yeah, out the I cups mean, and things like that. Can you take the platter out there? No. <laughs> can you go run and get some ice? Absolutely not. <laughs> right, right now, I'm home. But I like to together. know when to go home, too. So I'd rather be early than late. That's very Ooh, true. No one to say when. L.A. or New York? I live in L.A. now, um, but that's, yeah, for me, L.A. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, um, I left Harlem. God bless. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, would you rather have everyone know um, your thoughts at every moment or everyone be able to access your internet history? Oh, my God. What do you think of that? That that's a he got that off the internet because (laughs) (laughs) I was gonna say I think I do a combination of both already, but I guess maybe um, the first since I already write memoirs, yeah, it's some things should be mine. You (laughs) you only use what I'm buying or looking at randomly because I'm bored. (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha. Uh, Which Beyonce album, Four or Lemonade? Oh, Four. Oh, I, lo- I mean, I love that. Live for mm-hmm. I mean, I was going to put like self titled to Lemonade, but I thought that four was like a nice little curveball. Four is a curveball. <laughs> Ball. I would take self title. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then the final question What are you curious about? Um, will anyone at, well, uh, okay, actually, I'm going to put this. Um, I'm curious about figuring out um, what my life can look like post plague. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if that ever actually ends, yes. True. Just in the fact that I don't think a lot of people have taken the stock that we are all very much fortunate to be here, and so not to be all heavy, but when I hear people say like I've been blessed during a plague when so many people have died, I'm kind of like, we need to be a little bit more imaginative about that. So I, I would love to be that. I'm very curious about how I can be better than I was before this. Every day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope that made sense. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Ish. That makes sense. Okay. <laughs> Ish. I'll take it. So, Michael, I can't date Jesus and I don't want to die poor. Funny. <laughs> thank you. Uh, con- thank concepts. You, thank, concepts. You. Thank, thank you. Thank concepts. you. Thank you. We appreciate it. Can you? kind of discuss with us the role that humor plays in your writing i feel like a, a lot of it is your 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 own personal isms um and, and maybe it's not intentionally funny but it's just because this is how you are it, it's it's very funny and you got to kind of get your humor so can you dive in a little bit onto the role that humor plays in your writing um it's a, a combination of i kind of can't help that people think I'm funny sometimes, and then I happen to think I'm funny. Um, I think everyone in my family is actually really funny. My dad, my mom, my brother, my sister, like we're all pretty hilarious. But I also think just generally speaking, obviously like humor helps people deal with pain. Um, I'm just personally a big fan of humor writing. I do think it's important not to use humor to kind of be evasive about certain things. So that's something to be important about in the writing. But um, yeah, also I guess in terms of telling my story, I think while my life, has a lot of trauma involved it doesn't necessarily have to be presented or consumed that way and for me it was very important for my work to reflect who i am which is someone that maybe has grown up in a lot of darkness but can at least laugh about it yeah yeah that makes sense because i do often hear a lot of you know i i i'm a big avid fan of Whoopi goldberg and i watch the view often and there's Whoopi on there and there's joy behar and they often talk about how humor um, can alleviate 
a lot of the pain that people are going through and people use it as a vice to kind of get through that. You know, Tiffany Haddish is another example of that. Mm -hmm. um, but speaking of tone and voice, I want to know why was it important for you to specifically lean into the colloquialisms of black queer men in your writing? Um, I, 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 that's interesting you say that because I mean, I know I use certain, um, yeah, I do, but I kind of just, I mean, I don't know. I'm a country black dude from Houston and, I, <laughs> and, I, and, and I'm gay and I very much own that and that informs my identity. But I think just generally speaking, I write the way I talk. Okay. And I do think a lot of people, um, particularly black authors or anyone marginalized or even double marginalized are encouraged, if not stressed to not sound that way. Mm -hmm. um, because of whatever, well, I know what reasons why, but it's, <laughs> um, I just thought it was very important for me to sound like me. Um, I could have written a different type of book. I could have written different types of books. Um, but I, for me, I wanted to write a book that I felt like I wish I had. And if I can just speak very normally, like a country nigga from Texas, like I, that's what I wanted. I wanted yeah. people to sound like me. I wanted, it's important for my work for black working class people, not only queer people, but just which is most people in this country, working class people, to know that you don't have to who you are or change your tone in order to be commercially viable. Mm -hmm. um, the big thing about I Can't Date Jesus, which I mentioned not on one of that poor, which is why I felt, why I wasn't felt, I was shortchanged. And I didn't feel like I got as much support financially as other people would have gotten in spite of proving myself equally, is that there is the perception that being black and gay means you are limited, especially if you are urban. So mm -hmm. while I happen to think I'm, you know, you know, no child left behind, put a chokehold on me because I'm a Texan and it started early <laughs> with George Bush as governor. But like, I happen to think, you know, my work is no less of depth just because I so happen to speak a certain way. So I just thought it was very important for me to write the way I wanted to write and to make a certain point because I think that also makes it easier for other authors to speak the way they want to. Yeah, a pioneer. And that's important. <laughs> like, stick to your guns. I'll take the <laughs> stick, to, yeah. stick to your guns. Yeah, it's an expensive choice, so, you know, but um, I thought it was really important because I can't say how I was underpaid or treated, however I feel um, about my first situation. I just know for a fact that authors who are not, who are straight, actually, my book came up and that actually helped them get more money. So I think that was really important. Mm -hmm. No, and I think that also leans into kind of the next question around honesty, which is one of the key components of your storytelling. Uh, you talk about your experiences with an eating disorder, with your father, um, abuse and alcoholism, fun, a funny exchange with a hookup where the person had roaches, bed bugs, some type of insect. <laughs> um, that took me out. And just like, what story are you most proud of sharing? And which do you, or if any, do you look back and say, hmm, maybe I wish I left that one out? I'm t honestly, I'm actually too aware. So, um, I mean, I, you write memoirs, but I didn't necessarily give every aspect of my life or every kind of important detail. Like I'm very honest about everything I write, but I also know how to, pro um, protect things that I don't think need to be shared or should be shared because also when you're telling your story, you have to be cognizant of the fact that like that includes other people. So it might not be your place mm -hmm. or mm. feelings are unresolved or things might not be settled or just generally it doesn't belong there. Um, so there's a certain, I know, I know a lot of authors maybe necessarily don't have that consideration, but I always did um, because I always knew it would be a very delicate subject um, mm -hmm. for a lot of people. And there was the real potential to kind of alienate 
permanently people um, mm-hmm. in my life. But um, you do you do name names though. You name you name some names. So I'm, I don't know if you got permission well, or if you just mo- felt more comfortable with the names that you did name. Well, well generally speaking, with publishing, or made them there's up. certain names that might be changed, so you can't sue me. Got but, it. Uh, <laughs> that aside, like um, well, the publisher really. But that aside, I think no. Um, even if you change or not, people know if you're talking about them. Exactly. In your life, if they know, they would know. So I just think um, there's certain things I don't. I know not to talk about. But to, to move on to the original um I don't know if there's anything I'm specifically most proud of writing about, but I think I'm very proud about that I'm been able to tell two very specific stories with my books um exactly the way I wanted to do them. Um and they're reaching people, the people that I wanted them to reach, and then people who you know, I will say this, like the, the uh, about the this is about the last question about this idea about black queer men and our limited commercial viability. I have a lot more faith in the audience <laughs> than mm-hmm. a lot of people do. So um, I'm mostly proud of the fact that like I got to write the books I wanted to write, and people fuck with them. So <laughs> and people keep finding them. So that's kind of just the best thing. Uh, but yeah, I mean the bed bug things. I mean whatever. <laughs> <laughs> So honestly, that stuff, stuff like that doesn't really bother me. I kind of made a point when I don't want it out for and kind of the initial promo run for it during a play, which I don't recommend, was that, um, you know, the sexual stuff with all of that, that's not really that embarrassing because people actually att- attach more shame to like being broke or <laughs> not growing up with money mm-hmm. than anything. So that was actually the hardest thing to share to even put that out there. Um, but, you know, it was for a greater purpose. So I just want to say before we get into the next question that I loved um, and I don't want to be poor, the chapter you had about the reality TV show. <laughs> that oh, I that. that <laughs> chapter. That's took I was me gagging. out. I was gagging. And we, also, well, you know, hopefully that you'll see something from that very soon in a different medium. Just lift that in prayer. About oh, that. But yes, thank gonna, you. We're gonna pray on it. We we are gonna pray on that, and honestly, I'm glad like, you said that. Well, you know, I'm dating Jesus, so <laughs> same. I'm dating well, Jesus. Well, no, we're, so. we're working too, folks. So no worries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, I appreciate you saying that. No, and 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 the thing is, the whole time while I was reading that chapter, um, because like I was sort of in a situation where I was considering whether or not I wanted to participate in a reality TV show, and there were like similar thoughts going through my head where I was just like. <laughs> Do I want producers to be able to have like, you know, autonomy over how my my person is being portrayed mm-hmm. and like creating storylines for me? Because your person what, becomes their person. Exactly. And then like, right. what business am I going to be out there? Because, you know, I'm not trying to give like, you know, Sheree Whitfield and I'm charging $5 for a selfie. <laughs> I want to actually have like a business or something. You, want, you wanted your joggers ready already? Uh, I mean, <laughs> if I was going to do joggers, they was going to be ready. <laughs> Before spring summer. <laughs> but no, but like I, I, I just wanted to say that that like I love that 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 chapter and that really um that really spoke to me. Uh, <laughs> no, so, I appreciate that. <laughs> so while we're talking about um I don't want to die poor, um there's sort of like this dual discussion, and I think part of it is talking about you know encouraging the reader to sort of follow their dreams and you know and strive for their personal goals, but also I think there's a discussion around the realism of the financial burden that sometimes comes along with, you know, going after your dreams and, you know, talking to you right now, Michael, you've, um, you've accomplished a lot and 
in exchange, you've worked a lot. And we're just interested to know, like, do you feel like the ends and where you are right now justify all the struggle that you've had to go through? I, I hear you. Thank you. I hear you. I will say when, um, and it's not to dismiss the question, but um, it's to say I, I absolutely understand why people ask that. But I think what I try to point out in the book is that while, and also sometimes with the, the cop, it's like, yes, I was pursuing my dreams. But I think ultimately, like, what I came to realize is just because based on age, um, based on circumstance, um, things be out of outside of my control, no matter what would have happened, I would have found myself in a really difficult situation because social mobility in this country is much harder to attain. It is very difficult specifically for black people. And I think a lot of people just generally are socialized now to think debt is a part of like the journey, which in a lot of ways that it is. But at the same time, I could have been doing a lot of other jobs that were safer, as I point out in the book, like abandoning yeah. my dream, and I've actually would have made less money. So I think it's kind of at a certain point, once you get this degree, once you have this debt to you, no matter what happens, you ha I, for me, I just essentially had no choice but to be <laughs> successful. I have to keep working. Fortunately, I'm in a much better space where a lot of that debt is, well, mo the majority of that debt is removed, particularly like yeah. the private loan debt. I'm fortunate in that, but um, I just think ultimately, I. I I couldn't go back and make another choice because if I had made any other choice, I probably wouldn't be talking to you all or doing any other thing that I did. You kind of have to just live with the choices that you make. I just think it's really unfortunate that um, even if you aren't necessarily my extreme example, as I've heard from a lot more people since the book has come out, um, they're living in the same situation kind of essentially and they went to like the school up the street. It's just more so like no matter where you go, it's set up against you. So hopefully people are kind of interrogating that more so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, to, to, I, I mean, I did what I had to do because I had no other choice. But I think the bigger issue is like people like me or anyone shouldn't be put in that circumstance. And even the situation at Howard now, um, the school costs even more than it did before. And I also don't think for most of the people that are going to graduate, particularly in my field, they're not really jobs there anymore. Mm. And no one talks about these things. So that's kind of part of it. But yeah, I hear what you mean, but it's like I had no choice because I kind of, how else would I really get out of my situation? Yeah. yeah. I, I think too, um, like there was a line you wrote that said that people can get in your ear, swat away your dreams under the pretense of realism. And I think all three of us are first generation college students realism would have told us we would do nothing like I, I was recently interviewing for a new job i work in the fashion industry and it's it's filled with a lot of rich kids that can make thirty thousand dollars a year for however long yeah. and it not matter because their parents pay for their upper east side apartment that's rent controlled so on and so forth um and i think because it's just not designed for you to be there it's not it is not for us to be there and i remember i was interviewing and I, and I told the person i was interviewing with i was just like listen she was like, what is, why are certain things important for you? What do you bring to your work? And I'm just like, listen, I'm a black queer person from the Midwest. I'm everything that is not supposed to be successful in this industry. I've worked my ass off to get here. And I think that I'm bringing that point of view into the work that I'm doing and it's valuable. Right. Luckily they agreed and they hired me. Um, but, <laughs> but I think that's, that's part of the, the, the things that are bigger than just, I made a bunch of money or I didn't. Yeah. I think when people like us get into those spaces, hopefully, and like the goal is always to bring somebody else along. The goal is to mm -hmm. change mindsets. The goal is to 
make it a bit easier and hopefully give some advice as to what people should or shouldn't be doing as they're navigating those earlier parts of their career, which may not be as lucrative. And hopefully, and I think you did a lot of that in this book, giving people examples of like, hey, find some shit that makes you happy and don't just get swallowed up thinking about your debt, but go on a vacation every now and then or whatever it may be. Um, So I think... I want to be I want to be on that journey of um, removing that debt. So, Michael, speak that on my life. <laughs> speak it on me. <laughs> speak it on me. Yeah, I was hoping people understood that you can make a lot of money and still be a lot of debt because when you start behind, you start behind. It's just mm-hmm. not designed for you to be there. Like, honestly, even when you say like being from the Midwest, like, let's say you had stayed home and did quote unquote what was the right thing. Mm-hmm. And most of those regions, most of those jobs are now gone. The same with a lot of stuff is in Houston. You know, like, it's sort of like, what else would you be doing? I mean, I could have been a teacher, but y'all would have paid me, like, even less. And then I'd just be mad at these kids for no reason because y'all stressing (laughs) me out. (laughs) And then then you're starting to cycle all over again. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, But to sort of build on that conversation, so Damon talked about, like, how the fashion industry is sort of primed for people who have the means, right, to be able to enter into the industry, not make a ton of money, but be able to stay in the industry and Mm -hmm. grow. Um, And Michael, you mentioned that, and I don't want to be poor as well, about the media industry, which Tony and I are a little bit more familiar with as well, because we have, we work in media. Um, What advice would you give to people who are aspiring to entering into the media industry, but also come from modest backgrounds as well uh to be able to achieve and succeed in that industry be very realistic about what you can afford to do and what you can't afford to do i mean that's like I, I mentioned it but like i wasn't i didn't kid myself about media like i knew that wasn't made for people like me <laughs> i knew it didn't pay a lot i knew it was going to be struggle i knew these things but what i did know is like oh the great recession happened oh Journalism, I understand it, imploded because none of these goofy people, God bless them all, didn't prepare for broadband, <laughs> even though everyone knew the internet was coming. <laughs> and so I'm competing now with people who used to make $250,000 for the same $50,000 job, and they probably going to get it because they know somebody. So I think you, and that's, that's not to discourage people to say that things can't happen, but I do think more people of any profession, but especially media, you should be mindful of how much you can make, what jobs really look like. Cause the reality is you probably will end up doing a lot of contract work, which is kind of spanning most industries, but like media has perfected that. So it's like talking yeah. to people in the field. How do you make money? How do you have insurance? How do you do this? It's also kind of being able to realize, hey, I can do multiple things while still pursuing some larger goal. It's really allowing yourself just to be humbled in the pursuit mm-hmm. of something. Um, and also kind of giving you a space to be able to change your mind. Um, about certain things. But yeah, I, w- I want people to know how much pe- stuff pays. <laughs> <How they laughs> like d- to know your field. Like, cause again, Absolutely. like even now, cause I think for a few years, well, I tried to tell people even just a few years younger than me, um, when Buzzfeed and all those sites start popping, I was like, that's just a lot of venture capital that they pumping into this industry and give it four years and they're going to be gone. And that's what happened. Cause God, like, they have more money than I do. I get it, but um, they don't know how to run media, and so <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, I would say this. I I got this at Howard, and I thought it was like uh, I didn't believe it. He said, "My problem with you is you're probably gonna be smarter than the people hiring you." And I was like, mm. "I don't believe that." Um, I got what he meant. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
just gonna say to a lot of them also, you'll be hiring a lot of people who might not be used to um, people that look like you and think they know more than you. Um, good luck with that. <laughs> just be prepared for all those things. But yeah, please know how much money you're gonna make. Yeah. Well, you know what I got out of that is ask questions, ask questions, ask questions. I think people are scared to ask questions and share information. We should be doing more of that. And also, I'm a woman of a certain age and I'm allowed to change my mind. <laughs> so, Michael, um, where can people find you? Where can people find out what's coming up with what you're working on? Let us know. Give us a little bit of the tea <laughs> on your projects and where people can, you know, discover more about Michael Arsenault. Even though I'm too old for the name now, but it's too late to switch. You can find me anywhere at Young, spelled the regular way, S-I-N-I-C-K, Young Cynic. Um, I would spell Arsenal for people, but y'all see it in the title. Um, I don't <laughs> want it out pouring I Can't Date Jesus. Um, it's still available, particularly by the first one. We love royalty checks. We'll buy both. You got it. It's paperback, Toya. Uh, <laughs> and working on the third book, um, I... The, the some adaptations of the first two but you know i don't want to you know tv development is a very um in, in, slow and interesting process but we're pushing along it's actually reminding me a lot about i can't date jesus but we made it so um, <laughs> i'm doing that and just trying to keep you know get the other leg out the hood but we're doing better in la so um i really appreciate y'all having me but i am writing a lot well, thank you. We really appreciated this conversation. I can't wait to figure out what this, what this next book is going to be. Hopefully with some more, uh, with some more nice humor. It's a nice end to the first two. <laughs> it's a trilogy. Oh, okay. oh. Yeah, it's nice. nice. <laughs> the first two. We love a happy ending. It's a play. Happy-ish. With that, that's all the time we have this week. This season of Surface Level is produced in partnership with Moby, mobilizing our brother's initiative. If you enjoyed this episode, let's keep the conversation going. Let us know your thoughts and questions at surfacelevelpodcast.com. And remember, stay curious. <laughs>